I'm Daniel Pierce, and you're listening to GrottoPod. Today on GrottoPod, we're continuing our summer reading series, in which we bring you readings from Writer's Grotto members. Today we're featuring a reading from Vanessa Waugh, who will be reading from the short story VIP Tutoring from her newly reissued collection, Deceit and Other Possibilities. The collection is available now from wherever you buy your books. Vanessa Waugh is a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and the author of A River of Stars and Deceit and Other Possibilities. A National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellow, she has also received Arona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award, the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature, and a Steinbeck Fellowship in Creative Writing, among others. She has filed stories from China, Burma, South Korea, Panama, and Ecuador, and her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and elsewhere. Now, here's Vanessa Waugh. I met Angel while stuffing my family's restaurant menus under the front door of her apartment building. China Fresh was close to campus, and we delivered. She clutched a map. Do you speak Chinese? she asked, her eyes wide and desperate. This happened every so often, a Chinese man or woman urgently asking me, where is the nearest bathroom? Where is the street? Their mounting panic turned to relief upon finding someone with a Chinese face to help them in this college town out on the prairie. She was trying to get to an orientation event at the student union, and I offered to walk her there. She was an FOB, fresh off the boat, but not the kind I grew up knowing, the strivers with their bowl haircuts and thick glasses, the FOBs my parents had been. Her skin glowed in the unreal way of starlets or vampires, and her eyelashes were long and lush as a Disney heroine's. I took her past the towering sycamores and red brick buildings with lead glass windows and avoided the concrete blocks that made up much of the campus resemble a minimum security prison. The air was muggy and the sky hazy at the start of the school year. Pointing in awe at a storybook turret, she didn't notice when her gold bracelet slipped off her wrist and pinged against the walkway. I retrieved the bracelet, its weight lingering in my hand. I'm such a muddle-headed fool, she exclaimed. She showed me her schedule, and I told her to drop intro to government and sign up for the musical theater lecture. Both fulfilled the American Studies requirement, but musical theater ranked among the easiest and most popular courses on campus. So clever. I could tell you were kind just by looking at you, she said. Her questions had only just begun, and I could help her. I signed her on as my first client for a business whose name I invented on the spot, VIP Tutoring. I was a senior at the university located 10 minutes from home, and as soon as I graduated, I wanted to escape. A few years back, the school had begun recruiting undergraduates from China. A plan sure to fail, I thought. Why wouldn't the rich Chinese, with the country open to them, go somewhere cool in LA, Boston, or New York? Anyone with the least sense would get back on a plane after taking in the fields of corn and soybeans that stretched into infinity. But I was wrong, and the trickle of Chinese had quickly turned into a flood, scores of 18-year-olds fleeing their dorms for luxury apartments with lucky touches aimed at them, addresses and phone numbers brimming with the number eight in buildings that omitted the fourth floor. I came to understand that Angel couldn't pass her classes, she wouldn't have passed the third grade here. She must have hired a ringer to take her entrance exams in China and intended to cheat her way through school. 
I should have been furious at the university for accepting students so ill-prepared that they cheapened my own degree. Not that officials would have cared. The state had slashed funding, and everyone knew that tuition from these students made up the shortfall. If the university was going to use the Chinese for its mercenarians, why shouldn't students like Angel use the university for theirs? And why shouldn't I? For a term paper, I demanded a Louis Vuitton purse. For a take-home midterm, a Tiffany bracelet. For other assignments, I took whatever I wanted from my two dozen clients, mining their walk-in closets packed with clothes, shoes, and accessories new with tags. I sold my haul online. After China Fresh's gas stove and freezer died, I spent everything I'd earned to cover what my parents' insurance didn't. Since then, I'd been pulling 18-hour days, answering the phone for to-go orders, making deliveries, and taking on new tutoring clients to pay my way to California, where my parents should have raised me and my sister. My father had arrived on a graduate fellowship to study engineering, and my fa mother followed a year later to marry him. He began working at China Fresh as a waiter, and later on, he bought a share in the business. Later still, my younger sister and I were born, and he bought out his partners. After crossing oceans and continents, my parents traveled no further, raising us in a town built along a murky brown river in a state whose motto, the Crossroads of America, made it plain that our chief attraction was that you could go elsewhere. My parents would live above the restaurant, the scent of soy sauce and sesame oil seeping into their skin, into their tears, and into their dreams until they died. Most people around here worked at the university or at the county hospital at the tractor engine plant or Venetian blind factory. Who knew what I could do, who I'd become if I moved to California to the land of six-figure salaries, signing bonuses, free meals, nap pods, and perks galore? I'd find Chinese, Chinese everywhere, Chinese mayors, Chinese prom queens, Chinese founders at startups. So many of us that we weren't considered weird and foreign. My family knew nothing of my plan and wouldn't until after I bought my plane ticket and signed a lease on an apartment. Late spring semester, I found someone willing to accept me as a roommate even though I didn't have a job. In two weeks, I had to wire my share of the security deposit first and last month's rents, $3,500. What a waste, my parents would have said, if they'd known to throw away so much on rent. More than what they probably paid on their monthly mortgage, but they didn't understand that you had to spend money to make money. China Fresh's rickety chairs, the wood laminate tables, and the fluorescent lighting attracted stingy customers who left pennies as tips and accused my parents of skimping on the wontons. I told my parents to put in soft, flattering lighting, hang a scroll or two, and call the stir-fried green beans dragon leaves and the chicken chow mein phoenix nest. We could charge a dollar, two dollars more per dish, I said. Dragon leaves, my father asked. Rain drummed against the window and what had been a never-ending spring. You don't need to lie if you offer good food at a good value. He prized honesty above all else, even when a supplier's mistake would have been in his favor or if a customer overpaid. My, my sister smirked. Don't you know, A is for American, B is for burrito, and C is for Chinese. Like the letter grades from the health department, she said. Five years younger than me, Ivy moved with an easy athleticism and had was always surrounded by a pack of friends from the cross-country team. C is for Chinese, she said. She might have heard the quip from a friend, the source who told her, I don't even think of you as Chinese. Ivy didn't seem to understand that the joke was on her, or maybe she chose to ignore it. 
one of many things she let pass to fit in. Chinese get A, my father said, stoic as a general on a mission. Saturday night, Angel texted, asking me to come over. In the lobby, I noticed a flyer for a new apartment complex opening next year. The map had to be wrong. How could the building be on Fraternity Row? When she answered the door, her friends behind her, peering at me, I could tell they'd been drinking. Her eyes were bright but unfocused and her breath boozy. She was wearing a cocktail dress, and so were her two friends, Clarissa and Crystal. The names they picked for their new American lives seemed straight out of a Regency romance novel or a porn movie. Dajie, she cried, big sister. The title was supposed to be a sign of respect and affection, even if we both knew I was the hired help. By paying me in gifts, we could pretend our relationship wasn't transactional. She was my most steady customer, and she and her friends listened to my counsel with attention and respect, treating me as indispensable, all the ways in which I wanted the world to consider me. Angel led me inside. You've arrived in time for the party! Party? I was dressed in yoga pants and a sweatshirt, and I'd knotted my greasy hair into a ponytail. A pimple pulsed above my lip. An hour ago, I delivered pans of fried rice and chow mein to a fraternity that looked like a plantation house. I knew the guy who paid Tyler from an operations management class. He used to peek at the answers on my quizzes, and I never stopped him. I was glad that he didn't recognize me. Angel now tugged on my arm, trying to draw me deeper into her apartment. Dadia, the party is for you. Her voice had gone helium high-pitched, a tone that she and her friends seemed to think sounded cute. Aside from rifling through her closet, I'd never spent much time in this spacious corner suite with a view of the stubby campus clock tower. It smelled like the bath store at the mall, sweet and girlish, and her carpets were pristine and white. Although I should have taken off my shoes, my socks were mismatched and my big toe poked through a hole. I was being rude, but I didn't plan to stay for long. I'm not dressed for a party, I said. We know how hard you've been working, Angel said. We want to thank you. We're giving you a makeover, Clarissa said. She'd been going to school in the United States since she was 13 and should have spoken excellent English, but she still lived in a Chinese bubble of foods, pop culture, and language and seemed perpetually on China local time, staying up all night and sleeping for most of the day. The more she'd been excluded by her classmates, the more she'd clung to her own kind. Or it might have been the other way around, and nothing much about Americans held her interest. I don't need a makeover, I said. We're so bored, Crystal said. Please! Each presented me a size zero zero outfit, little black dresses as narrow as the tailor-made chipao my mother brought from Taiwan and kept packed in mothballs. I waved off the dresses. Raised on meat and milk, I was twice their size. You don't like them, Angel asked. We can find another. I, I don't fit. But these are the sizes you always take. Clarissa shot her a warning look. American Chinese, different style, needs different colors, she said. She alone might have realized that I'd been selling everything off. She reached back into the closet and returned with a loose cotton dress, a beach cover-up, one size fits all. I didn't expect this kindness from her. Wavering, I decided to try it on. I locked myself into the bathroom, shed my clothes, and examined myself in a three-way mirror. Despite the flattering lighting that turned my skin smooth and poreless, the mirror couldn't hide my flat chest and lumpy belly. Every imperfection reflected and repeated. I slipped the dress on and it floated over me, soft as a breeze. According to Angel, after carjackers gunned down two Chinese students in Los Angeles, 
parents had considered the big cities too dangerous and sent their children here. But we had our own menaces. Clarissa's Range Rover had been vandalized. Her hood sprained, go away, in blood red letters. A man in a supermarket parking lot yelled at Angel, go back to China. And I'd overheard other students grumbling about cheating. The Chinese had gotten that reputation. But hadn't that family spent millions to get their daughter on the sailing team? No wonder Angel and her friends left on shopping sprees to Chicago and New York every chance they could. And that's our show for today. Grotto Pod is produced by George Higgins, Brad Belukchian, Daniel Pierce, Rita Chang Epic, and Beth Weingartner. The music is by Sugartown. Grotto Pod is concocted in house at the Writers Grotto in San Francisco. Please review and subscribe to Grotto Pod on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Pierce, and thanks for listening.